It truly is good to gather with God's people on the first day of every week and in our small groups and just every opportunity that we have to gather as a family. You know, it's important that we see each other as brothers and sisters and that we work on those relationships that we draw close to one another. We come before the Lord. Today is part three in our sermon series, Simply Thankful. And in this series, we are looking at the life of Jesus and those ideas and truths about our Lord that we really should be simply thankful for. Not that it's simple, but something that in our heart goes, I am so appreciative that that is who my Lord is in this world that I live in. You know, we can be thankful uh, for the rain. We can be thankful for the sunshine. We can be thankful for the green grass. We can be thankful for just relationships. There's so many things to be thankful for. And we have stories in the Bible where people weren't thankful, even though God had worked in their lives through Jesus. The healing of the ten lepers. Only one comes back, said Jesus, to give thanks. And really, I truly believe that if you don't have what we say, the attitude of gratitude, if you're not a person that is thankful by nature, uh, as so many of us aren't, that we need to work on that because it changes our outlook about the Lord and draws us closer to Him. In part one of John chapter one, simply thankful for the life of Jesus. Simply thankful that the Lord became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And that in that, we learn that He is the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world. And that He gives us the opportunity to respond and receive Him in faith and find salvation. In part 2, we looked at John chapter 3, where we were simply thankful for the teaching of Jesus. In that we realize that the new birth, regeneration, our salvation flows into our life as we are born from above the Holy Spirit's work in our lives as we humble ourselves before Him to receive and believe. That salvation is not something that any one of us can earn. Salvation is not something that any one of us deserves. Salvation is a gift, a free gift from God. His part is to die on the cross, stretch out His arms, and be the drawing power that God would use through the Holy Spirit to call His people to Himself. And our part, as I said, whether we call it small, it's still significant, is to receive and to believe. We see the idea of receiving and believing in the Lord again and again throughout the Scriptures. And so today, in part three, we're going to look at a powerful 
and challenging text that reminds us of another thing in the life of Jesus, his character, who he was, that we can be simply thankful for and aspire to it ourselves. And that is to be simply thankful for the humility of Jesus Christ. Humility, humbleness, comes down to really considering others better than yourselves. To look at another person and to have their interest come before yours, even though you may know that your position in this life is greater than theirs. More prominence, more power, more authority. But it is to take on, to take on that attitude that your concern and your actions put someone else before yourself. Now, that's definitely true in a marital relationship, right? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church sacrificially. So a husband loves sacrificially. It's definitely true when it comes to our children, right? We, we sacrifice and we do for them what sometimes and often they don't deserve. And then there's times we don't do to them what we want to do to them, and they really do deserve. You all know what I mean if you're a parent. So humility in the life of Jesus Christ has to do with him looking at his creation and loving that creation, mankind, created in the image of God, fallen away from the Lord in the Garden of Eden to come back and redeem them through his shed blood. Therefore, John the Baptist would say to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Well, in John chapter 13, we have this beautiful passage, and we learn in Matthew 26 that the text here is happening about two days before the actual Passover Jewish celebration. And it's at a man's house in Bethany named Simon the leper. So it's just before the Passover festival. That festival that they celebrate God freeing the people from Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And more specifically, when Moses in Exodus chapter 12 commands all of the Israelite families in Egypt to take a sacrificial lamb, a male lamb, a year old with no defects or no blemish, and to sacrifice that lamb to take hyssop and brush their door frames, both top and sides, because God is putting a plague on the Egyptian people and the destroying angel will go through Egypt.
but will pass over any of the homes with the blood on the doorpost. And Jesus is the Passover lamb. And it is his shed or sprinkled blood on our hearts that causes our death, our destruction, to be passed over because we are his. But here specifically, the disciples, the Jewish people, it's a few days before that beautiful festival. And just to reiterate, What Justin said, April 7th is going to be a phenomenal opportunity to learn about this very thing as a representative who is now a Jewish Christian and a part of the Jews for Jesus organization. We'll have a table here with everything that was on the ancient table explaining in detail every part and what it meant and how Christ fulfilled that. Make sure you sign up because it will be an awesome and informative and moving time that prepares us for the Passion season, prepares us for our Good Friday service, and definitely our celebration of the resurrection on Easter. The text says, as John writes, Jesus knew that an hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus came to the world. He was in flesh in this world, but he has lived three years on the earth and he has taught publicly. But we see a transition here. Really, it's the second part of what Jesus is doing, and that is he begins not so much to teach publicly, but to teach specifically to his disciples because he knows he has about a week to live. You think about that. Here Jesus is. A week left of his life here on earth. He knows why he has come. He knows ultimately what he must face. And yet he spends this time with his disciples teaching them a very important lesson about the kingdom of God, what it means to be a Christian. And I would be so bold to say that this teaching is so important for our lives to embrace and to naturally be a part as we come to the Lord, that without it, without it, we have no part with Jesus. That's how important this teaching is. So he knows that his time is short, and he knows that he's returning to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, or to the very end. So I want you to think about that in your life. You are like the disciples were. You're the Lord's. And he loved them to the very end of his earthly life and to the very end of their earthly life. He loved them when they were caught up in heaven after they perished. And the same is true for each and every one of us. Everything that we read in this text has a parallel truth for each one of us. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already 
prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, something I want you to think about in this text is, uh, number one, here Jesus is, and he's talked about loving his own. And we know that he's getting ready to show the full extent of his love to his own. And then John throws in Judas Iscariot and his father, Simon. How would you like to be the father of Judas Iscariot? This is the only time his name is mentioned in the Bible. Simon Iscariot. And what he has in his legacy is a son who betrays Jesus. How grievous would that be if that was any one of our legacies? That our child was the one who would betray Jesus. That's the legacy that Simon had as his father. Parents, do all that you can to represent Jesus to your children. Do all that you can to worship the Lord in truth and spirit. Let your love of Jesus be genuine and sincere, so authentic that it's unmistakable that He has changed your life just as you were born from above by the Spirit and you can't see where the Spirit comes from, you can't see where it goes, but you see its effects and you see the results in your life. Let your children see that in your life. We don't know anything about Simon. But we know that there was the hard reality that his child betrayed the Lord. And it is still true that many children of their parents will reject and betray the Lord in some way. May it not be your child. May it be because they've seen your love and that you've pushed them to understand and seek God and that God births himself in them through the born-again experience. But something else that uh, we see here is, it says the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that Peter, who's getting ready to come up in the conversation, is going to soon deny him. Betray and deny. And yet, Jesus still loves his own. Now, I think it is critically important for us to understand that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, love their creation, mankind. And loves you, me, 
saint or sinner, unredeemed, loves them. For God so loved the world, right? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves those that he's created in his image. Even if it's a Judas who is going to betray him with a kiss to receive 30 pieces of silver, Jesus still loves Judas. Jesus is still serving Judas. Now, I think there is a special place in the heart of God for those that He loves and that are redeemed. Don't get me wrong. There's a special blessing for us, and that is salvation and many other gifts. But I just want to stress, Judas is going to betray Jesus. Peter is going to deny Jesus. All the disciples, the gospel tells us, will desert Jesus, and he still loves and serves them. And when you think about people in your own life who have denied you or made fun of you or rejected you or even betrayed you, what is your response going to be? Because the example that Jesus gives of a servant heart is to strive to be like Jesus. Now, understand if you look at your life and start to get a little bit arrogant, like, yeah, I I look like Jesus. Well, you've not read the text right. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. We, We strive to be like Him. We strive to look like Him. We strive to be obedient. We we take Word and we fill our hearts with it. And we do more than just listen to that Word. We we do what it says, James 1.22. Jesus loved those who failed Him. I would be remiss just not to really hammer that. Jesus loved those who failed him. Does he really expect us, as his followers, to love and serve those who fail us, hurt us, betray us, reject us? Does he expect that? And the answer is yes. And the answer also is, we can't do it unless the Spirit of God that we received at the new birth and regeneration lives in us because that's where we get a new heart. And it's no longer us, but it's Him living in us. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning from God. And there's the second time Jesus knows He's getting ready to leave and go back to the Father. So He got up from the mill, 
took off his outer clothing or his cloak and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, every commentary, every biblical scholar will simply say that servants did many tasks that uh, were beneath most people. But to wash someone's feet was left to the lowest of the low. Truly was left to that person who was the slave. That was their duty. And so you think about the roads and the dust and the animal feces along the road and you know the sandal was like a wood bottom and just had like leather straps we would call like strings to tie to their feet their feet got really dirty traveling it was hot it was sweaty we we know what dirty feet can be even in today's society but in that time in that culture feet were dirty And it was a custom that when you entered the house as a guest, that the lowest of the low in that household would wash your feet. But never someone of prominence or position or command or leadership, not a rabbi. But Jesus gets up from the meal that he is serving them and begins to serve them in this way. And it just throws everything into confusion for Peter. Peter seems to always get it wrong the first time, don't he? Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. Peter says, no, you're not. And then we see Jesus saying, you've got to wait to learn to understand what I'm doing, and I've got to wash your feet, Peter. And Peter's like, you're never going to wash my feet. Something that Christians have to to learn about a a passage of Scripture like this is, this is our Lord. This is the Lamb of God. And we can be simply thankful that that is the God that is coming to us to redeem us To simply be thankful for this kind of humility. Later down in the text, Jesus says to the disciples, and you could work backwards, no servant is greater than his master. You guys, Jesus says, are greater than me. You're the servant, I'm the master. And no messenger is greater than the one who sent him, I've been sent by God, and I'm not greater than God. I don't consider that something to take 
hold of and to use. And I'm getting ready to send you disciples into the world and us into the world eventually. And this is the attitude that Jesus had. It is the attitude that we should have. It's one that we must be thankful for. And finally, as you see Jesus serving in this way, and know that he is with them, and this meal is the Last Supper, and they've been eating together, I would say this to you. Jesus is still serving. He served them, and he's serving you. He gave them the food to eat. He's serving you by giving you food in your household to eat. He's got this place, this home for them to gather. He's given you your home for you to live in. He is serving you today. Still serving. Jesus was always serving. So he comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You know, it's really just almost a hysterical scene because I almost can relate to Peter. Someone says, let's have a foot washing. You know, we just want to see how humble everybody is. It's like, no, I don't want anybody touching my feet. But it's more than that with Peter. It is, Lord, I've listened to you teach. I've heard you preach. I've seen the miracles. I've seen the healings. You are God's Son come down from heaven, and I could not let you take on a role like this to serve me. I'm a sinful man. I'm undeserving. You are greater, and I am less. You are higher, and I am lower. And that's the point. It's true. And it's the attitude that we take, no matter what position in life we have. Am I serving in this way? Am I humbling myself in this way? Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. There's so many things like that in our life when it comes to Jesus. He asks us to do certain things. Well, that makes no sense. But if we trust, and if we obey, and if we give ourselves to Him in doing those things, we come to understand. Maybe some people don't see the value in a church gathering. Fox News reported last week, that the wave of the future for the church is to be the people will be online or listen to a podcast, but the gathering of the church family coming together as a community, what's happening right now, is soon to be a thing of the past. That's what's being reported by Fox News. Just some information within the church realm that 
the gathering of God's people and community is not important. I hope that you'll determine in your heart that gathering as the body of Christ is a command of the Lord of not forgetting to meet together but to come together, for God's people to assemble together, for God's people to be face to face and sing together and pray together and listen to the word together and laugh together and be a part of a family together. The church is important because Jesus said it's important. Sunday's not a day that you can look at or should look at as well. It's just another Saturday. A day to catch up before Monday. It's a day to play sports. It's a day to go do whatever I want. Sunday is the Lord's day. Sunday is the Lord's day. And it's the Lord's day that we consecrate ourselves to Him. Now, every day is important. But the Lord's day is when His people gather in His name. There's things that we begin to understand after we do them. I look back to when I first started going to church after my you know, high school years. And I'd go to this little church out in Lee Summit, Missouri with D and... Uh, Everybody, I mean, we hadn't been there once or twice, but everybody wanted to hug you. I mean, it was like a huggy church. And it's like, you know, and I remember the preacher, get that people poker out of the way. But it's like, you know, I, you're, this is my distance. You're in my space. I don't know you. You know, after a few weeks, it's like, all right, I'm going. This is great. It's great to hug a brother or sister in the Lord. But you don't understand a lot of things. Well, here's one that Jesus says to Peter. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take on the nature of a servant for you. And this is a lesson, Peter, that is extremely important, not only for you, but all my followers. Because if you miss this lesson and reject it, you'll miss me and have no part with me. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Can it read any clearer? Unless I do this to you, you can have no part with me. But I'm telling you, although you don't understand it, you will later. So humble yourself and let me walk feet. Because I am going to call you into a kingdom where although you may feel like you are greater, higher position, have more to offer than others, I'm calling you to humble yourself and take on the same humility that I have and be a servant of the people, to be a servant of the kingdom to the world so that those who love me will be blessed by your life and those who don't know me 
will be challenged by your life because your life is reflecting who I am as your master. Amen? And sometimes we forget that. We don't humble ourselves. We become arrogant, puffed up, calloused because of a lot of stuff. I didn't get treated the way that I wanted to be treated. It didn't happen the way that I wanted to happen. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. He did this. She did that. Oh, my marriage. Oh, my kids. I'll show them. And that can never be the attitude of the disciple of Christ. But it's the attitude that we often deal with in our own lives. Peter, Paul, especially Paul, the things that I don't want to do, he says, I keep on doing them and it grieves him. And the things that I want to do for the Lord, I find myself not doing. So we, we wrestle with giving ourselves in submission to the Lord and we lose focus on what He's called me to be. You don't have to worry about the other person other than you would hope that your influence might prick their heart through the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. You have to worry about yourself. Are you humble like your Savior? Do you have a life of humility like the Lord in relationship to those in your life, those that you come in contact with? Peter, if you can't allow the Spirit to transform you, to submit, and let me do this to you, to teach you, you have no part with me. You're unregenerated, you're not redeemed, you're lost, and you're doomed. So will your eyes be on the world like Judas? Or will you listen and submit to the teaching of Jesus? And here's something else that is like startling to me. Judas was with Jesus three years, right? He went to the university of Jesus. And that teaching and that authority and the miracles didn't do it for him. He didn't receive. He didn't believe. Now, there's things that we may not know why, but his life is the most tragic life I can imagine because he betrays Jesus with the kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane, takes the 30 pieces of silver, is grief-stricken for what he's done, and he hangs himself and by all apparent biblical text, is lost and damned to for eternity. And Jesus' life is the life that's most terrific. And he says, 
let me do this or you have no part with me has Jesus washed your feet have you let him serve you because when he does it changes you right you're changed I think of Jesus Christ in heaven and the beauty of the John 1 passage that he left heaven and came to earth he left the throne of God and came to earth that is humility to give that up and then here At the Last Supper, he leaves his place, his seat, and begins to serve. As a servant, as a slave. And then he leaves the towel behind and goes to the cross to show the full extent of his love. I'm simply thankful for the humility of Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us as God's people redeemed by the blood of Jesus need to be simply thankful for the humility of Christ and so thankful for it that we want it to be a part of our lives and that we can look at our lives and we see, yes, it's not me, it's not by my power, it is by the Holy Spirit that lives in me, but I serve and I do it with the right attitude, and it is an attitude of humility because I consider others better than myself. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. See, he always gets it wrong the first time, and then after Jesus says a few words, he gets it right again, right? All right, give me the full bath. I I want to be with you, whatever it takes, I'll do. And that's that attitude of trust and obey, not to reject. And Jesus responds, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. But here's the, the point, I think. And you are clean, Peter, though not every one of you. There we start to indicate he realizes, knows that Judas will betray him. Some people say this is sort of like a cryptic, you know, it's one of those mysterious, you know, is he talking about something literal here, possibly, but then the deep spiritual meaning, yes and a little bit of both. But I think what does surface is that the cleansing or the cleaning comes from Jesus Christ. And we all need to be cleansed of our sin. And that comes from the Lord only. And that's another powerful truth. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that why is why he said not everyone is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. He's just told Peter, you don't yet, you will later. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, 
have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, how would you answer that? Is the point of this text for us to be washing each other's feet literally? It doesn't seem to be the point. The point seems to be serve each other as I have served. Humble yourself as I am the humble servant. That's the point. Now look, there may be a time that you want to wash someone's feet. Do it. It might be just a good lesson, right? It's great when you see couples have weddings and the Bride and groom, they wash each other's feet as a sign that we're going to serve one another. But be hospitable. Look at a person's life and be compassionate. See what they need and meet that need, whatever it might be. That's the point. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. It's not a one-time thing. This is a way of life. Who are you serving? It was important enough to Jesus to say, Peter, if you don't do this, you have no part with me. Who are you serving? It's probably a lot of people, but keep serving. I just think it has to make God smile when he sees like us serving each other, serving those in the world, serving those that don't like us, and not doing it so that we can, you know, stick it in and, and grind it a little bit. I remember this one girl, she was uh, in a small group that we did years ago. Her name was Debbie. And she was a new Christian at all, but uh, she had it out for an individual, and she was just so happy that she was saved and this person that she had it out for was lost. It's like, Debbie, that's not the way it works. You know, we need to go back through Christianity 101. And, you know, but people grow. She didn't understand then. Praise God wherever she's at, and maybe she does now. We are to be serving each other don't think there's really anything more to add to it than to look at your life and are you serving others because you want to be obedient to Christ you want to look like Christ are you serving others do as I have done very truly I tell you no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them, there's a blessing that comes. And so today, as we close part three of being simply thankful for the humility of Jesus Christ, we say to ourselves, we know the blessing that will come whenever we put into practice this teaching of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father in heaven, we know that you're sit, sitting high on your throne and that you are holy and the cherubim, the angels, and many of the saints.
cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I thank, Lord, in this prayer as Moses walking to the burning bush and for you to speak forth for him to take off his sandals because the place he was standing was holy ground. And yet, Lord, in all of your magnificence, you sent Jesus, who was willing to come to this world to reflect your image and your fullness and your supremacy and to take on the nature of a servant and to teach us to serve. Father, if there's people here that need to forgive someone, I pray, Lord, that your word would encourage, convict them to do so. I just pray it for each one of us, Lord, because we all have that kind of thing in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be humble enough to show true humility because you will exalt the one that humbles himself before you. May your blessing be on the believer that's here. And may your conviction be on that person that's here that's not been born again. May they come to know your goodness. And may their life be changed as they live for you. It's in Jesus' mighty, magnificent name we pray. And together we say, Amen. Let us.